What makes Holy Week special is not the church. What makes Holy Week special is not the pews. It's not even the icons in the church. It's not even the priest and the gathering together. What makes Holy Week special is the presence of God. And I think God knows where you live just as much as he knows where the church is. I think that God knows the address of your home. And I think God is present in your home. And if you approach it with that attitude of, it stinks that we're not in church, but God is still with us, you will find a way and we will actually be more connected to God than ever before. Easter to you. I hope you had a great Holy Week and Feast of the Resurrection just as I did. Christ is truly risen, and as we talked about all last week, that changes everything, including what we're doing here at STSA. You know, ever since this lockdown began, we've been trying different things online to make sure that you and your family are being supported and nourished spiritually, even though we can't meet in person. We for sure want to take care of our physical health at this time, but what good is it to be physically healthy if we lose our spiritual health in the process? So with that in mind, I want to let you know what we have planned for this coming season. First of all, we're kicking off a new series this week called, appropriately enough, After the Resurrection. We'll be talking about what comes next after Easter Sunday. 
What did Jesus' disciples do after he rose from the dead? Is there more to the story? Or does it just kind of end there? What we'll discover is that the resurrection isn't the end of the story at all. It's actually just the beginning. It's after the resurrection where the good stuff begins. Kind of like a relationship going from just dating to marriage. New doors open up and new opportunities for intimacy become available. The same is true after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about what those doors are and how we can enter them now that Christ is risen from the dead. But in addition to that, we have some new stuff planned as well. For starters, something that I know a lot of people have been asking for is a midweek Bible study. Well, thanks to Father Timothy, we'll be starting one this Wednesday night. We'll begin with a short time of prayer, lifting up our hearts as a church family, and then we'll open up God's Word and study it together. That's this Wednesday at 8 o'clock, continuing for the next several Wednesdays. The other major initiative we're going to be kicking off is groups. Now, for those who are new to our church family, groups are something that we believe very strongly in as a means to practice our core value of authentic community. We believe that God didn't just create the church to meet our spiritual needs, but our relational needs as well. And that certainly doesn't change because we can't meet physically. In fact, I'd argue we need it now more than ever. So if you haven't already, you're going to be seeing an email with a list of various groups that you can sign up for, all online, of course. Some will fall under the category of learning groups, things like book clubs or topical studies or groups for married couples or young adults. Others will fall under the category of leisure groups. These are fun events like trivia night or cooking classes or charades or bingo. Again, this is the time that we need the community and fellowship more than ever. So I really hope that you'd consider joining one or more of these groups. And if you're watching this video from outside of our church family, we've created a downloadable resource to help you get some groups going in your local community as well. Just go to stsaministries.org and see for yourself. And while you're there, check out some of the other resources we've been putting together to help churches get through this challenging time. And please know that we're here for you and we're praying for your church family as well. So again, the plan is this, the well on Sundays, Bible study on Wednesdays, and groups throughout the rest of the week. Now you may be asking, what about the other things that we were doing, like the daily times of prayer and the midnight praises on Saturday and the other things we were doing during Lent? Well, those things don't need to stop. If you were pausing your day at noon to pray the Egbeya, you should absolutely continue to do that. Same with the midnight praises. I know my family's not gonna stop those, same with the liturgical prayers and the readings on Sunday morning. All those things can continue, but as we learned last week, we are capable of doing much more on our own than we realized. So don't stop those practices just because we aren't doing them all together. Continue to pray. Continue to praise. Continue to treat your home as a church. Continue to make the most of this time because it truly is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that will end at some point, and when it does, we want to be better and stronger because of it. My hope is that the church programs and resources would always serve as a complement, never a replacement, for our personal disciplines and spiritual practices. So again, it's the well on Sundays, Bible study on Wednesdays, groups throughout the week. And please know that I'm praying for you and for your family, and I'm trusting that God, the author and maker of all things seen and unseen, is working and will continue to be working in your heart and in your home during this time. Thanks for being here with us today. The stories of the Gospels tell of the life, 
death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what comes next? What happened after the resurrection? While the disciples were still talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Well, good morning and happy Easter to everyone and happy Sunday morning. Thanks so much for tuning in to us here today at STSA Church. My name is Father Anthony, and I'm glad to see you this morning on this Sunday after Easter. And I got to be honest with you. Okay. Ever since we started this whole, um, you know, broadcasting from home and just speaking to a camera and not people, it it took a little bit of time to adjust for me. Okay. It's not easy to to just talk to a camera and not talk to people. But today's the first Sunday I feel at home. And you know why it's the first Sunday I feel at home? Because it's the Sunday after Easter, and typically the Sunday after Easter is the least attended Sunday of the entire year. So in other words, I am used to talking to nobody but myself on, a, on the Easter Sunday after Easter, so this isn't too much of a stretch for me. Now, all joking aside, I'm glad that you're here, and of course, even though we're not in the same room together, we are still together because we are family and we are a church, and nothing can separate us. No virus can separate us. Nothing can separate us because what we have is stronger than being just in the same physical room together, and... Now that Easter is behind us and Holy Week is behind us, I hope you have had a chance. I hope Holy Week, first of all, was a reviving week, an invigorating week for you. I hope that since then you've had a chance to, you know, rest a little bit and catch up. I know I've been catching up with some old friends over the, this past week, friends like ham and cheese and meatloaf and, of course, red velvet, okay, my best friend of them all. So I hope you've had a chance to catch up with some of those old friends as well. Okay, Holy Week has come and gone, Easter has passed. The question that we want to talk about here today is, what next? What comes after Easter? What's my life supposed to look like right now? We know that the first resurrection, okay, in the first century when Jesus actually rose from the dead that, that first time, that was a game changer for the disciples. Okay, that changed everything for them. We know that the same people who started off, okay, just, just before the resurrection, okay, they were cowards. They fled when the, when the bad guys came. They were always kind of bumbling and getting in their own way. We know that these same people, the resurrection changed everything for them. The cowards turned to courageous men, bold men who preached the gospel and willing not just to be imprisoned, but even give up their lives. You look at someone like St. Peter. St. Peter, okay, the night that Christ was arrested, was denied Christ, denied him three times, even in front of a little, uh, a servant girl at one point in time. And this same person who just a few uh, weeks later after the resurrection stands up boldly and proclaims the name of Christ in front of thousands of people. The resurrection made all the difference in the world. So the question for us is, what about us? What difference does the resurrection make for us? Like what comes next? What happens, as the series is titled, after the resurrection? You know, for many people, if we're honest, Easter is kind of a letdown because we spent this week in church during Holy Week and, you know, we're praying and we're praising and we're singing and we're fasting and there's this, there's this you know, life is never going to go back to being the same again and we're going to, you know, spend all this time with God forever and, and, and we never want to go back to that old life. And then here we are. Just a week later, back to life, back to work, 
back to commitments, back to responsibilities, back to the news, okay, and back to the, you know, the COVID-19, which, you know, for a week we weren't even thinking about. But here we are again. And somehow we were hoping that the events of Holy Week would somehow change everything. That somehow they would put us in a new place. And if we're honest, oftentimes what happens to us after Easter is a sense of disappointment of being let down. Well, if that's you, good news, you are not alone. Because the exact same thing happened to the disciples in the first century when Jesus rose from the dead as well. What we're going to do here today is we're going to look at a strange story from the last chapter in the Gospel of St. Luke. It's a story of two disciples and their interaction with Jesus right after his resurrection. Now, we all know the story of Easter morning. We know how Jesus rose from the dead. We know how the women came to the tomb, and then they found the stone rolled away, and they said, what's going on here? And then Mary uh, has this interaction with Jesus, which she, he, she thinks is the gardener, and he says, go tell my disciples, and then they go, and then Peter and John run back to kind of check it out, and John makes a point saying, I was faster than Peter. And then when they get there, they see nothing, Okay, and there's all this chaos and all this confusion. But even the, 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 the Marys seeing Jesus and even the disciples, Peter and John, the heads, seeing that the tomb was empty, didn't lead to everyone automatically believing that Jesus rose from the dead. Actually, we look at this verse right here from Luke chapter 24, verse 11, and it talks about after Peter and John came back with their report and the Marys came back with their report, it said, this is what Luke is saying. Luke is saying their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. So the disciples, the guys who were there, who heard the prophecy and Jesus say, you know, I'm coming back on the third day, the, 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 when the reports came back, they didn't automatically jump in and say, yes, Jesus is risen from the dead. They seemed like idle tales. And you know why they seemed like idle tales? You know why they did not believe them? Because Jesus had died, okay? And the one thing that dead people don't do is rise, like you could say the dead person stinks. I believe that. You could say the dead person was wrapped in, in cloth. I believe that. You could say they moved his body. I could believe that. But the one thing you can't tell me about a dead person is that they're risen. That's the one thing the dead people don't do. And I always say it this way, is if you attended the funeral of your, of your grandmother, okay, or you're at someone who departed, and then a week later, you saw a person walking down the street, okay, you saw your grandmother walking down the street, what do you think you'd say? Most likely, you wouldn't say, oh, there's my grandmother. She's risen from the dead. Most likely, you'd say, oh, there's a lady who looks just like my grandmother who died last week. Because dead people don't rise. Okay? Pigs don't fly. Fish don't talk. Priests don't sin. And dead people don't rise. These are the facts of life. And that's where we're going to pick up this story about two disciples who kind of heard these rumors, didn't quite believe and then they have this interaction with Jesus where he changes everything. And I love this story so much. Of all the resurrection stories, it's my favorite because it shows to me, it shows the moment where things shifted for them. How they started the story one day, disappointed, let down, don't believe, don't know what's going to happen, don't want to go back to life. They started this way and then they ended this way. And unlike the other accounts, okay, which is just they saw Jesus, it's very clear and very specific as to how that shift took place. So that's what we want to study. The other reason I love this story is because it's the Bible's version of a prank. 
Okay, did you know that one time, one time Jesus, you ever seen the show or heard of the concept of like the undercover boss? Okay, that's exactly what Jesus did right here. Jesus goes in and has his conversation with these two guys and doesn't reveal to them who he is. Let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. It says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus. Okay, that same day means Easter Sunday. So that morning Jesus rose, this is that same day. So Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. Two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. Here you have two disciples walking down the road and Jesus, lo and behold, appears and starts speaking with them. But again, undercover boss style, they don't realize that their eyes are restrained. They didn't know. And again, why they didn't know? Because there was no, no such thing fathomable as dead people rise. Okay. So here's Jesus talking to them. They're talking about the thing. Okay. And Jesus says to them this, verse 17. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is that you have? Is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? So what we see in these two disciples is that they were walking down the road on Easter Sunday. Jesus had risen from the dead. They didn't quite get it yet, but Jesus was risen. And they're sad. And they're disappointed. And if I could insert another word that isn't in the biblical text, but I think captures the, 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 the moment the best, I think they were let down. I think they were let down because these guys, okay, clearly they, had, they were traveling back to their homes. So they had left everything. These were disciples of Jesus. The disciples left everything for Jesus. They left their home. They left their job. They left their family. They're willing to be mocked. They're willing to be ridiculed. And, and it was okay because we were with Jesus. And Jesus was taking care of us. And Jesus told us he's going to provide for us. And we don't know how, but he told us, you see the lilies of the field? See how I provide for them? I'll take care of you. You're more valued than them. You see the sparrows? Okay, those little birds? Not one of them falls without my father giving permission. Don't worry, you're of more value than them. And we believed it. And we left everything and we were all in on Jesus and we were riding high and we didn't regret it for a moment. And then he died. And he didn't just die. He died in the most brutal way imaginable. Like it had been one thing if Jesus was like riding high and then like he, you know, was on top of a building and tripped off a building and fell and broke his neck. Like, okay, these things happen. But that's not what happened. They arrested him. He couldn't do anything about it. And they nailed him on a cross. And he didn't do anything about it. And they taunted him. And they said, you who saved others, save yourself. You who raised Lazarus, raise yourself. You who opened the eyes of a blind. And they were taunting him. And we kept waiting and waiting. And we know, yeah, Jesus is going to do it. Oh, you guys are going to regret this. You guys are going to regret this. And he didn't do anything. And he died. And we kept waiting and nothing. And remember back then, it's not like today. Today we have this concept of martyrdom and sacrificing your life. But back then there wasn't that. Okay, their, their understanding of life after death was much different than ours. Okay, so for them, death was the end. Death was the end of the road. And for them, Jesus died. Jesus was buried. And there was a big stone. So basically, you know what? It was a nice run while, while it was lasted, but it's over. And in the end, here they are walking home in dejection, disappointment, and feeling let down. So here comes Jesus. 
And in typical Jesus fashion, he sees the people in one way and he asks them a strange question. Okay. Then one whose name was Clopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which have happened here, there in these days? Jesus asked him, why are you sad? (laughs) And they respond to him like, are you serious? Are you serious? Are you the only person on the planet? Him asking them, why are you sad? It's like me walking outside today or going to the grocery store and saying, why is everyone wearing a mask today? Hey, what's going on? Or me going and give, trying to give her a hug. Like, why no one wants to hug me today? Or me sneezing and being like, hey, anyone got a tissue? Like, where are you, man? Where are you? Where are you? Are you the only person on the planet that doesn't know what's going on? And Jesus responded. What things? They said to him, you're the only one who doesn't know these things? And he said to them, what things? And now they start to talk, okay? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. Okay, shows, again, they were believers that he was mighty in deed and word, all right? Before God and all the people and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. We believed. We thought that that life was never going to be the same again. We believed. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, meaning Peter and John, and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So in other words, what they're saying here is, look, we want to believe. Like we believed and we gave up our lives, and we want to believe that this is true, but we just can't reconcile what our eyes saw. Like our hearts want it, but our eyes are seeing something completely different, and we just can't make sense of it. We heard what the women said. We heard the rumors of what Peter and John said, but you know what? Look, we already went in all into this Jesus thing once. Like we gave everything that we got, and we were all in, and we felt like we got burned, so it's not going to be easy for us to go back. It's not going to be easy for us to say, okay, all is well now. Especially we saw him die. The Romans killed him. The Romans are expert killers. It's going to be difficult for us to all of a sudden believe that these women who said that they saw him, okay, their testimony versus what our eyes saw on that cross. It goes on, verse 25. Then he said to them, Jesus, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Jesus says, you fools. And you slow off heart. Now you say that's kind of rough for Jesus to say, call them slow, okay, and call them fools. Yeah, but you know, they're kind of proving it because they're having a conversation with Jesus about how Jesus is dead. So if there's ever a time to call someone a little bit slow, they're trying to convince Jesus that he's dead, okay, and he's right there in front of him. So it's not him being mean as much as him just saying the truth. They were slow to believe. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And then what Jesus does next, he tells them, you guys really don't get this? Then he explained it to them. And he gives them, verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. I don't know what was said here at this moment in time, but I think the greatest Bible study in the history of the world took place right here for these two guys. And I think that Jesus showed them, that, look here, you guys don't get this, that from the start, this was the plan. That Jesus saying about himself, okay, but they don't realize it's himself, saying Jesus is not a helpless victim. Jesus is not someone who they took his life from him. 
Jesus is someone who from the beginning, this was the plan to give himself willingly. And I'm sure he started to go back and I'm sure he talked to them about Psalm 22, where he said that they pierced my hands and they pierced my feet and they count all my bones. I'm sure he read to them from Isaiah 53 and explained to him by his stripes, we are healed and what that meant. I'm sure he went back to them on that passage from Genesis 22 of Abraham and taking his son Isaac to the top of the mountain. And Isaac came down alive by carrying the wood and he showed them like, this is the connection. He made all these connections for them. And then after he explained everything to them, they still didn't see him. Now here's an important point, okay? And I'll I'll come back to this in a minute. Even after this great teaching, there could not have been a better teaching than this. There could not have been a better explanation than this. They still didn't get it. They still didn't see Jesus. And this points us to an important point. That scripture and teaching and understanding and knowledge is not the goal. It's not the path to the new life. There are many people who can study the scriptures, who can translate the scriptures, can explain the scriptures, can write books about the scriptures, can give lectures about the scriptures, can uncover hidden mysteries in the scriptures. But that's not the goal. It's not the knowledge that gives life. Jesus didn't come and say, come make scholars of all the people. Come make experts of all the people. He said, come make disciples. And discipleship is not about knowledge. Discipleship is about life. And let me just be kind of practical here with you. If your relationship with God is more here, is all head, is all intellectual, is about what you read, about what you study. If you read, you study, you discuss, okay, you memorize and that's it. Man, you're missing out. Because it's kind of like, a, think about it like a marriage where we know everything about each other. And I can tell you all the information about her. And I can tell you her birthday. And I can tell you her favorite color. And I can tell you how tall she is and where she's from. And I can tell you everything about her. But that's not marriage. That's a step towards what I want in marriage. But any relationship, the goal is not knowledge. The goal is sharing life. It's the difference between knowing someone and knowing about someone. Now, let me pause right here and tell you that in my household, all right, these days for this past week, all right, a, a, it was an important event that took place this past Sunday. Of course, it was Easter Sunday, but another important event took place, and I'm sure many other out there can relate, especially with nothing to do and nothing to watch on TV, and that is a uh, television uh, movie called The Last Dance, Okay. If you've seen it, okay, you know what I'm talking about. Basically, it's a chronicle. It's a 10-part chronicle of the final year of Michael Jordan's career. Okay, 1997, 1998, when they won. The, the final year that should have counted, okay? The other, the two years after that should not have counted. Okay, the Wizards years. Anyway, so this series, okay, was supposed to come out in like June or July after the NBA season. But, you know, thankfully, okay, they had mercy on us and they saw that there's nothing to watch on the TV. So they decided to release it on April 19th, which proves, since that is our Easter, okay, that proves that God is a fan of MJ as well. That's what that proves more than anything else, because God released it on Easter Sunday, because that had come the week before, wouldn't have been as good. Anyway, God's a fan. I'm a fan. When it comes to Michael Jordan, I know everything there is to know about Michael Jordan. When it comes to knowing about an intellectual head knowledge, I could tell you that he won six, N- six, six titles, okay, and five MVPs. I could tell you that he 10 times won the, was a scoring champ, nine times was all defense. I could tell you that his birthday is, is February 17, 1963. I could tell you that his middle name is Jeffrey. I could tell you that his wife's name is Juanita. I could even tell you that they got divorced in 2002, but thanks be to God and thanks to the prayers of a, a righteous man, they got back together shortly thereafter. 
And eventually they divorced again, but we're still praying about that and hopefully things work out for them. But anyway, the point is, I know a lot about Michael Jordan. And even if I didn't, everything that I just told you, you could look it up. Anyone can know a lot about anyone these days. But is that the same as knowing him? Is that the same as sharing life? Like my knowledge about Michael Jordan from the outside, is that the same as his mother's knowledge of him? Or his children's knowledge of him? We'll stay away from the wife after what I just said. How about his teammates? Okay, those people don't just know about him. They shared life with him. Well, I think the same is true with Jesus. I think it's easy to know about Jesus. It's not hard. Okay, there's plenty of books. Okay, there's an important one called the Bible, which hopefully you've read. But beyond even the Bible, like every week there's a new movie or a TV show about the life of Jesus. It is not hard to know about Jesus. But that's not the goal. Is that the goal? Just know about him? Like Jesus didn't come just to give us a book, The Life and Times of Jesus Christ, bestseller. Like that's not why Jesus came. Jesus, if that was his intention, man, there were easier ways to do it than what he ended up doing. Jesus didn't come to give us knowledge about him. He didn't come to share information. He came to share life. And the only way to share life is to give life. Let's go back to our story. Jesus walking down the road with these guys, disappointed, let down. Jesus said to them, are you so slow? You foolish ones so slow to believe? And he explained to them, this was part of the plan. And all of a sudden, intellectually, they got it, but there still was more. Okay, let's go back to the story, verse 28. Then they drew near to the village. They still didn't know it was Jesus. They drew near to the village where they were going and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. They wanted more Jesus. And Jesus said, you, you, I got more for you as well. Verse 30. Now it came to pass. Here's the critical part. Now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Okay, and obviously those who are in the church realize what he's doing here. This is communion. This is the Eucharist, which we'll come back to that in a little bit. He took bread. He blessed, he broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. Then their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished from their sight. It wasn't when he said something that they got it. It was when he did something. Or let's say that a little better way. It wasn't when they understood it it was when they participated in it. It wasn't when it was just a knowledge thing. It was when it was an experiential thing that all of a sudden that their eyes were opened. And then it says that he vanished from their sight. That's kind of a strange statement. Why would Jesus vanish? Like now they finally got it. Why would he vanish? Well, the key there, he didn't vanish. The scripture doesn't say that he vanished. It says he vanished from their sight. Meaning what? Meaning he was still there. They just couldn't see him. Well, where was he? Where, where, where do you, where'd you go, Jesus? You're gone. No, I'm not gone. I'm just with you in a new way that you may not be able to see with your eyes, okay? But you know that I'm with you. Again, we'll come back to that in a little bit. Let's, let's finish the story and then we'll come back. Verse 32, and they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? So they rose up at that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. And found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Not in the scripture, not in the teaching, not in the conversation. What they said is the game changer for us. That when we went from disappointment to encouragement, when we went from discouraged to hope, when we went from sadness to joy, when we went from death to life, was not when it was here, but when we participated. And for them, life was changed forever. Because from that moment in time, for these guys and for the church and for the rest of us, when we come to this point, for this point, from this point on, now all of a sudden, God is not beside them. God went from God beside them to God inside them. God with me to God in me. Went from my Lord to my life. And that was where true life began. I said in the beginning, in that little video in the beginning, about how the resurrection is going to open to us new doors of intimacy and new levels in our relationship with God. How is that? Well, look at it this way. Before Christ came, before Christ came, like in the Old Testament, the relationship between God and man was very not interactive, okay? Of course it was because God is always working, but what I mean is the people would come, offer a sacrifice to God, okay? And then God would tell them, you guys do this. And then they would offer a sacrifice. And it wasn't very relational as much as it was kind of transactional. Kind of like, okay, how I'm kind of talking to you in this camera. I'm talking to you and you're hearing it, but we're not really interacting as much as it's kind of one way and then you can respond by sending me an email or put something in the chat, but it's not really interacting. Then Christ came and Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. And being with us changed everything because now all of a sudden he was with the disciples and he could touch them. He could heal them. He could give them his body and blood. But you know what? What good does that do for me today living in the year 2020? Yeah, it's great that Jesus touched people 2,000 years ago, but what good is it for me? It's great that Jesus did bread and wine 2,000 years ago, but what is it good for me? It's great that Jesus healed people, but what good is it for me? And then Jesus died and rose from the dead. Now, here's the important part. When Jesus rose from the dead, this is important. This is your, this is your belief. Jesus is alive. We say it a hundred times over and over that Christ is risen and he is alive and he's risen forevermore and he lives forever. If Jesus lives forever, that means he's alive today. If Jesus is alive and risen from the dead, that means he's here with us today. And just because we don't see him like the disciples vanish from their sight doesn't mean that he's not working. It doesn't mean that he's not alive. I would argue that he's working just as much, if not more today than ever before. And just because we can't see him, doesn't mean that he's not there. And because he is alive, that's what you believe, because he is alive, he is still able to offer his body and blood today just as he did at the Last Supper. He is still able to touch sick people today just as he did 2,000 years ago. He is still able to say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do just as he did before. He is still able to breathe into the face of his holy disciples and pure apostles and say to them, receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you remit, they are remitted to them, and those which you retain, they shall be retained. In the same way he did it before, he is still able to do those things, and he is still doing those things to this day. And the way that we plug into those things and interact with those things 
is the sacraments. And that's what we're going to talk about here in this series. We want to talk about what I believe is the most underappreciated aspect of the church, which is the sacraments. And when I say sacraments, okay, the word sacraments or mysteries, you can use them interchangeably. All right. And I'd be happy to explain why that is at another time, but it's not really our topic here for today. So I'll use those two terms interchangeably. The sacraments are the most underappreciated aspect of life in the church. And because they are always there, we take them for granted. And we don't realize that they are the very means by which Christ is touching us today. Because communion is there every week, we take it for granted. We look at it as some kind of routine, some kind of good luck charm. Oh, I need to make sure that I take communion before this big test. Or, oh, I need to make sure that I take communion because I have to make this decision. We use it as a good luck charm instead of what it is, the source of our life. Because confession is something that the priest is always saying, you need to confess, you need to confess. We feel, let's be honest, we feel like we're doing him a favor when we confess. Like, okay, Father Anthony, all right, I'll do you this favor, I'll confess. Or, okay, God, all right, all right, I'll confess. But when I do, you better bless me because we feel like, you know what? We're doing a favor for somebody. We're doing a favor for the priest. Like he's got to fulfill some quota or he gets a commission or something like that for the number of confessions he takes. Because we are baptized when we are young, we don't look at baptism as what it truly is. Instead, it's just like a, you know what? Like a rite of passage, kind of like your first haircut kind of a thing. Like, oh yeah, and that's, you know, my first word. That's my first fingerprint. And that's my baptism. And that's my whatever it is. And we don't realize with all the sacraments, the bigness and the magnitude of what God is giving to us in them. The sacraments, did you know, were the topic of discussion for Jesus with his disciples in those days after he rose from the dead. Scripture doesn't tell us much about the time between Jesus' resurrection to his ascension into heaven. It's a period of 40 days. He didn't do any miracles. He didn't go out and preach. Okay, he appeared several times to his disciples and did a few things there. But the, the way the, that Luke the evangelist describes what happened during these days in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, During these days, to whom he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus rose from the dead. He spent time with his disciples, proving to them by many infallible proofs that he is alive. Because obviously, again, this was something that was new to them, a new concept. And then he spoke to them about things of the kingdom of God. What are those things of the kingdom of God? Well, those are the sacraments. Those are baptism. Those are Eucharist. Those are praying for the sick and healing the sick. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, how we know that is because as soon as this finishes, this is what the disciples did. They went everywhere and they preached baptism, preached baptism, preached baptism. They weren't preaching it before. They started preaching it now because that's what Jesus spoke to them about. Then all of a sudden they started breaking bread everywhere that they went. Okay, when they did the Last Supper, it was kind of like, this is weird. This is my body. We don't really understand this stuff. But after these 40 days, everywhere they went, they broke bread. It was clear that after these 40 days, there was a, I don't know how to say it, a hierarchy or a delineation between the apostles and everybody else. There was this, there was a ranking, <clears throat> not ranking in better or worse, as much as different roles. The apostles had a role and they had laying on of hands role that other people didn't have. And then there were these elders and they had a certain responsibility. So it was clear that this is what Jesus was focusing on for these 40 days is the sacraments. Why? Think about it this way. That for three years when Jesus was alive, actually his whole life, but let's talk about those three years of his ministry. Jesus went everywhere and was doing miracles. And then for 40 days after he rose from the dead, he didn't do any miracles. 
but he was teaching his apostles how to do them on his behalf. He was teaching his apostles how to bring his miraculous power, his very life to the church. Because the sacraments are more than rituals. They're more than prayers. They're more than nice to haves. Oh, we love them. The sacraments are how we participate in the life of Christ today. Today, it's how we participate in the life of Christ. Think about it like in marriage. I said earlier that the difference before and after the resurrection is kind of like between dating and marriage. Before marriage, okay, when we're dating, we talk, we discuss, we know a lot about each other. But marriage changes everything. Marriage is when we begin to share life. Marriage is when two become one. Marriage is when we're no more apart from each other and your life and my life and let's see how we can, how we can bring them together. Marriage is when our lives are intertwined. I always tell this to new couples when they get married. I always fear that sometimes that a couple who's like, you know, you know, um, been dating for a while, that they think of marriage as just like dating plus one. That's how I describe it. Meaning like we're dating, we're doing this, and then marriage is like we're doing it a little bit more. Or we can, we don't have to drive to our separate homes afterward. Or you know what, you know, it's like dating plus a little bit closer. So it's like, you know, friends and then dating and then engage and then marriage. And I always say, no, that's not how it goes. It's friends and then dating and then engaged and then marriage or actually, and then marriage or, or marriage. Marriage is, is a game changer. Marriage is everything is different. Marriage is your lives are intertwined. Marriage is what God has joined together. Let not man separate. Marriage is a whole new life, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new existence. Marriage is no more you next to me. Marriage is us and each other. Marriage is not watching each other's lives at a distance. Marriage is participating in each other's lives. And the same is true with the resurrection. Is that after the resurrection, we no more watch Jesus's life. We no more walk with him. We walk in him and he walks in us. And the way we do that is through the sacraments. What we're going to do in this series over the course of the next four weeks is each week we're going to look at a different sacrament. And we're going to talk about, we'll talk about the historical roots and the biblical roots and where each one came from and all that stuff. But more importantly, we're going to see where is Christ in the sacrament? Where is the kingdom of heaven in this sacrament? Because you see what Jesus said right here, Matthew 16, verse 18 and 19. He said, on this rock, he's talking to Peter. Okay, but he's really talking about the faith of Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church. Tell us, Jesus, what's your church going to be like? What's going to be inside your church? He says, I will give you, meaning the church, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What Jesus is saying right here is that the sacraments, I'm going to give you guys in the church, I'm going to give you something. And they wouldn't have used the word sacrament at the time, but it's this mystery. I'm going to give you in the church something that is a piece of heaven on earth. I'm actually going to give you the keys of heaven. I'm going to give you, how about something small like binding sins and loosing sins? I give that to you in the church. Where? That's in the sacrament of confession. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, the key of new life and birth. You know when Jesus said born of water and spirit, born again of water and spirit? Church, I will give that key of heaven. I will give that key to you. 
I'll give the key of my body and my blood to you as the church to be the caretaker of it. Each week, we're going to look at a different sacrament. And what we're going to see is the sacraments are much more than meets the eye. Priesthood, we're going to start with priesthood because that's one a lot of people have questions about. Why you have priests and what is priest and do we need priests? Well, we're going to see that priesthood is not a man-made institution. It's not a job you apply for or like a, you know what, I'd like to study to be a priest. That's not what priesthood is. We're going to see that priesthood is a type of Christ, the great high priest, and God is working in human form through the earthly priests. We're going to see that baptism is much more than just an occasion where the baby cries and you give the little chocolates at the end of it or just some kind of celebration. What baptism is, it is death with Christ, burial in his tomb, and raised to new life. We're going to talk about that. We're talking about how repentance and confession is not just say your sins and have the priest tell you to do uh, some, some uh, acts to, to get over it or some kind of you know, uh, action to, to make yourself feel better or give you some advice. It's standing at the foot of the cross and it's receiving the forgiveness that, God, that Jesus offered freely to all humanity. And of course, we're going to talk about the Eucharist. Okay, which is more than just a meal that we share together. It's more just an obligation and more than just a duty. It is the very body and blood of Christ. It is the Last Supper, the same Last Supper. Peter, James, John, those guys sat at that table and they experienced. We experienced the same thing through the sacrament of the Eucharist as well. Because, as I said earlier, the resurrection means that he is risen. He is alive. He is here today. We don't say that Jesus, like sometimes we say Jesus is up in heaven now. No, not just in heaven. We say that heaven and earth, okay, one of the hymns that we say, we say uh, heaven and earth are full of your glory, that Jesus is not just alive in heaven, that Jesus is alive on this earth and earth is full of his glory and the sacraments are the means by which we connect to his life. Let me show you this nice verse. From 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Life, obviously, meaning that heavenly life, that eternal life, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, sharers of the divine nature, not just understanders, not discussers, but sharers, partakers, participants in the life of God himself. Now, I realize that this is strange timing for a series on the sacraments. (laughs) Because obviously we're in a time of where we're all locked in our homes and we cannot practice the sacraments. And I realize that, 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 that the timing seems a little bit off. But let me tell you why I'm doing this series right now. Number one, okay, if you are in the church versus out, if you are coming, if you're Orthodox and you're watching this, or if you're non-Orthodox and you're watching, let's start with if you're Orthodox. If you're Orthodox and you're an Orthodox Christian and you're a practicing sacramental believer, my hope is to build a greater appreciation and hunger for the gifts that God has given to us in these sacraments. And I realize that we can't practice them now. Okay. At least we, for the most part, we can't practice them now, but my hope is, okay, and I'm really praying this, that when we come out of this thing, our appreciation for the Eucharist, for confession, for baptism, for all these sacraments, for marriage, as I know people's marriage plans are getting uh, delayed and, and, and thrown off. My, my hope is that we would see them not as empty rituals, but as the very source of our life and our richness in Christ, that what makes us rich and what that new life in Christ is all about is not just about believing and it's not just about um, 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 reading about, 
It's about participating, that he's alive and I can join his life. And the way I do that is through the sacraments. Think about it this way. <clears throat> Imagine someone who bought a house and he moved into that house and, and the owner left a, like a chest in that house up in the attic. And one day after many years, you discover, okay, that chest and you open it up and it's full of gold coins, full of gold coins. But you look at them and you think that they're those chocolate coins. You know, those good chocolate coins that you, you know what I'm talking about, like the really good ones with the little crackly things inside. But they're not. They're real gold coins and they're worth, you know, millions of dollars, let's say. But you think they're chocolate. So you look at them and you're like, eh, I don't really like chocolate coins. So you close the thing up. Or you look at it and you say, you know what? Uh, um, you, maybe you smell and you're like, oh, dude, it smells like it's going rotten chocolate. I'm not going to eat any of that. And you close the thing up and you put it up in the attic. Let me ask you a question. If that's you, are you rich or are you poor? You have that chest. Let's you have no other money. You have that chest worth millions of dollars. Are you rich or are you poor? Well, you're kind of both. You're rich in the sense that you own a lot, but you're poor in the sense that you don't use it. You take it for granted. You just kind of leave it there. Like, what good is a million dollars in a treasure chest in the attic? It doesn't do you any good. I kind of feel like that's how we are sometimes in the church. That we have a treasure chest called the sacraments, the mysteries, participation, sharing partakers of the divine nature. The divine nature. We can partake, okay, that we can Okay, we can plug in, think of ourselves, think of God as like, uh, like the electricity, okay, or the, 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 the power plant or whatever it may be, and think of the sacraments, I can plug in and I can receive some juice from it. And we take it for granted. So my, my prayer, my hope, is that if you're in the church, you're Orthodox believer, okay, that you would build a greater appreciation and hunger for the sacraments. And if you're not an Orthodox believer, if you're not an Orthodox Christian, and these sacrament things are weird to you. And you, you know, you, your pastor told you, don't you dare go to a church that's sacraments and stay away from this stuff because it's empty rituals. My hope is that maybe you'd consider and maybe you'd open your mind that maybe that Jesus came for more than just teaching. Jesus came for more than just doctrine. Jesus came for more than just a sermon and understanding. Jesus came to give his life for us. And not just to die. Like when we say give his life, we don't mean just die. We mean give his life and we share in that life. We mean not just give himself up. We mean give himself like, here you go. And that's what orthodoxy at its root preaches. That Christ is alive. That the church is his body. The church, God is alive in his body. The church and the way that we participate and share in his life, like in a marriage, is because he is risen. He's given himself to us. And the way we interact and, and, and participate is through the sacraments. That's why I say this about the sacraments. The sacraments are an intersection between heaven and earth. That's what they are. When we gather together on Sundays for the Eucharist, are we in heaven or are we on earth? We're at a crossroads. When you come for a confession, you may not see it. Again, the disciples, they didn't see it. They didn't see that they were, they were sharing with Christ. They didn't see it. That doesn't mean it wasn't true. When you come for a confession, you just see a priest and you just, you know, you hear some noise and you just say some things, you just, but you don't see an intersection between heaven and earth. Same with baptism, same with marriage, same with priesthood and with all the sacraments. So starting next week, we're going to go one by one. We're going to break it down one sacrament at a time. We're going to start with priesthood because, like I said, I think that's the one that people are like, why do you have priests and why do we need priests? We're going to start with priesthood. We're going to go through the rest of them. But biblical roots, historical roots, 
But again, most important, where is Christ in the sacrament? What is the mystery that lies within? I hope and I pray that you will be back next week to join us for this series and that you'd invite a friend, especially someone who may struggle with the sacraments and may not understand them. Invite them to come next week and we'll pray that God will open all of our eyes to the depth and the riches that he's provided for us. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for for the gift that you've given to us in your body. And Lord, forgive us for taking so much for granted. Lord, you, you gave to us everything that pertains to life and godliness, and you made it available for us freely. And we pray, Lord, that, that through this series, that you'd open our eyes to appreciate and understand so that when this quarantine thing ends, Lord, we can participate in you more fully, more with understanding and knowing, Lord, the great, great, great gift and the mystery that you are risen from the dead, you are alive in your church, and you give us a chance to participate in your very life through the sacraments. We pray, Lord, for all those who ask us to remember them in our prayers. Pray a special blessing for every home that is listening to this message right now, that your grace would rest upon it and your blessing would always be there, Lord, um, and that you'd especially remember those, Lord, who asked us to pray for them and are in special need during this time. We ask these things in the name of your Son, with the intercessions and the prayers of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Hope you uh, will be back next week. And before I leave you, something new that we're going we're gonna to start doing here at the end of these messages is I'm just going to put three questions up here on the screen, all right, that you can hopefully, you know, in your family discuss or you're getting together on Zoom somewhere or phone calls later on today, just some questions to help you talk it over and think it over, okay? So I'm going to leave them up here on the screen. You can take a look at those. You can also find those on the handout on the STSA app or on our website, stsa.church. And please be sure to check out our website so you can stay connected to everything that we are doing here um, throughout the week and in the coming weeks. Thanks all. Thanks so much, Vera, everyone. Have a great week.